any further delay, this morning we're, we're very privileged to have uh, Ruth Limkin with us. She's the CEO of the, the Banyans, and um, I'll let her just tell you a little bit more about what she's doing, because she'll do it far better than I will. But uh, I would like you to give a center point welcome this morning to Ruth Limkin as she comes... Thank you. Well, it's great to be here. This is a great church and there's lots of friendly faces that, oh, it's even more friendly faces. I feel like I'm amongst family this morning. There's lots of people I've known through various circles for a very long time. We're all getting older. How's that for an encouraging thought at the beginning of the year 2020? Uh, so I... Um, I have a few different hats that I wear. I'm an ordained pastor with Australian Christian Churches. My husband, Stephen, and I volunteer at Hope Centre at Bowen Hills. We run the marketplace ministry there. He has a couple of businesses that he leads. I, for the last four years, have been the CEO of the Banyans Health and Wellness, which is a private therapeutic health retreat. And we specialise particularly in treating mental health, um, pain and dependency and eating disorders. So often quite complex health conditions. We take a really integrated approach. So there's a team of around 60 um, medical professionals, allied health professionals. Um, so we've got psychologists, counsellors. Julie Kelly was a part of our team for a long time and she's wonderful until she went to start her own business. So if you need a counsellor, go and see Julie. Um, the, we've got exercise physiologists, possibly one of my favourite is the chef. Um, they do a wonderful job of making healthy food taste amazing and I don't know how they do it. But um, we've, we're a social enterprise, so we're actually half owned by a charity. So the charity is over in Perth. They treat particularly addiction and they look after people who can't afford to pay for treatment at all. Whereas we have a fairly different model. It's all one-on-one -on -one therapy, a really sort of busy therapeutic program. Um, but it, So we particularly look after a lot of people in business who don't want to go and do group therapy because of their confidentiality and privacy and also who can't take, say, six months out of running their business. So they'll come and do a much more intensive program with us. So um, we do know that um, there's not a lot of models like us actually in the world and particularly in Australia and there's not a lot of regulation in the private health sector which I think is a little bit of a problem. Um, so we've always been really pedantic about gathering data. Uh, so for those of you who are interested in data I've just got a little bit of data to show you. Um, so if we can go to, so for the, who works in health here? Yep, fantastic. You guys are champions. I know we even have Dr Snoswell, who is a health economist here, who a very long time ago was my intern. Um, so I, would, I can't take any credit for how amazing she is. That's all been her hard work. Uh, but there's a scale called the DAS scale, which measures, measures depression, anxiety and stress. And these are some before and after measurements of some of our guests who come to us for treatment. And then if we just go to the next slide. Oh, no, sorry. That slide was, a, look, I don't even really know what a T-test is, but it's about statistic validation of this is not just a once-off, but this is measured against a group of people. And if you want any further explanations, please go and see Centaine afterwards and she'll be able to help you. So my team, who are much smarter than me, put all that together. So, if we go to the next one. There's um, one of the, I've learnt a lot 
in the last four years running the Banyans. And one of the things I've learned is just in a sense how widespread some of the health conditions are in Australian society that we don't really like talking about. So one of the things I love doing is talking about it because if we just talk about it, it makes it so much easier for people to get help because they realise I'm not the only one experiencing it and in fact it's really quite normal, so why don't I go and get help and get healthier? So I'm a big fan of talking about it. So for instance, these are um, one in three women will experience anxiety in their lifetime and one in four Australian females are drinking alcohol at levels that's harmful to their health. So if you see um, memes going across Facebook about wine o'clock, just know that that might be funny in and of the moment, but there's actually a lot of pain going on behind that. And um, one of the things I've also learned is just what drug addiction looks like in Australia. So often when we think about overdose or someone dying of overdose, we think about, well, maybe you don't, but I probably thought about maybe a teenager and maybe they've got a needle in their arm and they're somewhere in the valley and it's late at night and they've overdosed on something. But did you know that the Australian most likely to die of an accidental drug overdose is actually a middle-aged male using prescription medication? That in fact women, Australian women between 30 and 50, are four times more likely to die of an accidental overdose than to die in a car accident. And yet we see advertising campaigns all the time about road safety, but we never really hear conversations in our culture about anxiety, depression, and particularly how that leads to drug addiction. So you probably know some people in your life who are experiencing this. Can I encourage you to encourage them? Addiction is not a moral failing. It's a fairly predictable response to pain. You know, so often people end up addicted to prescription medication after surgery or a sporting accident or a car accident. And so if there's someone in your life where you think, I feel like probably they're taking more than they should be, can I encourage you, you know, maybe talk to your doctor about how to talk to them and encourage them to get help. So everything that we do at the Banyans is not just about helping people stop being sick, but about getting well. And we operate on a Christian ethos. The people who started us, um, they're passionate Christians. And we do all of this because we know that while the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, Jesus came to give life and life in all its fullness. And I'm so passionate about people experiencing life in all its fullness. And any kind of health condition doesn't have to stop us from having that dream and that hope that change is possible. And change is possible through incredible medicine. It's through the power of Jesus. It's through being new creations. And it's so exciting to see that we can help people have life in all its fullness. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that as you listen to some of the things that I share with you, that you'll be able to take one thing away so that 2020, you start to reach that life in all its fullness to an even greater level. And I know that the Holy Spirit will just give you just one idea, something really simple. And so this morning, I'm just going to give you a bit of a biblical foundation for well-being from a Christian perspective, give you the framework that we use at the Banyans, and then talk about some really simple strategies. Now, you know, I'm going to pray in a moment, but just before I do, I want you to know it's okay, you can relax. 
I'm not going to say you have to run 10 kilometres every morning. I'm not going to say you have to give up chocolate. I'm not going to say that you have to have a kale smoothie for breakfast every morning. So it's okay. This is not scary. It's going to be really doable because if it's not doable, nothing changes. So I'm all about simple strategies. So let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus, not just to make us new creations, but to give us life in all its fullness. Father, we thank you that you love us. Father, that you've got good plans for us, not just for us, but that we can make a difference in this world. So, Father, we pray that you come and speak to us, each as individuals and as a community, about how we can experience life in all its fullness, the life that thrives. Amen. You know, one of my favourite verses is Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. And whether or not we feel like a masterpiece sometimes, God has created us to be a masterpiece and to do good things that he's created us to do. Um, Psalm 139.14 says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. And God has created us incredibly complex, incredibly wonderful. And as we learn to honour the way that God has created us, we learn to discover that fullness of life that he always meant us to have. But, you know, sometimes in church world, we've been in dangers in the past, I think, at sometimes over-spiritualising well-being. And spiritual well-being is a part of our well-being, but it's not the only part of our well-being. And I love, if we go to the Old Testament in 1 Kings, I love this story that we get shown about Elijah that shows us him as this incredible spiritual giant, but also some other things that God teaches him. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'd encourage you sometime this week to, to sit down and just read the chapter and a half of 1 Kings 18 through to 19, 9. And it's the story of Elijah the prophet, the man of God. And he had, um, he'd lived in a time of drought, which some things never change, hey? But Elijah persisted in prayer. And he prayed for that drought to break. And he saw just that small cloud the size of a man's hand. And he continued to persist in prayer. And he saw that that drought break. So he was a man who knew how to pray, who knew how to make a difference. And then there was a spiritual battle where he had to go up against the prophets of Baal. And there were things contending against God and his glory. And he had to front up and he had to... There were miracles and signs and wonders and he had to participate in this real power ministry. And he prevailed again. So, he'd, you know, he'd broken the drought. He'd gone up against the false prophets and there'd been signs and wonders. Like, you know, Elijah nowadays would have probably a cable TV channel talking about this. But then he had one threat from someone and it's like he fell to pieces and one person said, I'm going to kill you. This is the man who'd just broken a drought, had signs and wonders ministry. One threat, and it said, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there, so isolated himself. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better and my ancestors who've already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, 
get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. He had some epic spiritual highs, but then he also experienced an incredible personal low. And what did God do in response when he hit that low point, which we all hit at different points in our life? God didn't tell Elijah to pray more. He didn't tell Elijah to fast. He didn't tell him to press in and worship more. He sent an angel to give Elijah something to eat and something to drink and have a sleep. And only then did Elijah have the strength to travel to the mountain of God. So what if perhaps the most responsible thing you could do is have a rest? What if the most responsible thing that God's encouraging you to do is eat something, drink something healthy and have a rest? This is a part of honouring the way God has created us and in fact is an act of worship. So this framework that I want to give you is the framework that we use at the Banyans. It's something we um, adapted from the National Institute of Wellness in the States. And if we just go to the next screen. Oh, the next screen. And the next screen. There we go. Facets of well-being. So this is, um, it's a, again, it's just a really simple model that looks at different dimensions of well-being. But as you can see how the colours all bleed into each other, that's not a design fault. That's very deliberate. Because all of the way that God created us is very integrated. And everything affects everything else, which is really good news because if you make one positive change in one area of well-being, that starts to create a positive domino effect in other areas of well-being. Don't you love the fact that God doesn't make this difficult for us and he gives us some really good keys? So I'm going to quickly talk you through each of these dimensions. I've seen lots of people taking photos. That's good. You can go and have a bit of a look at this yourself afterwards. But the first one, obviously, spiritual wellness. We're in church on a Sunday, so I've got to start with that one. Um, that's simply about having meaning and purpose. And it's about having um, an understanding of where we go for peace, safety and comfort. And if you're talking to a friend at work or a family member, maybe they're not a Christian, this is a really good way to help them understand spiritual well-being. Where do they go for peace, safety and comfort? Because wherever they go for that, that's what their God is at the moment. Occupational well-being. Now, that's actually not just the job that we do, but that's also our volunteer activities. So occupational well-being is about making sure that the role that we do, particularly if we're in paid employment, is something that doesn't cause us to live in contradiction with our values. So sometimes you can see people will choose a job because of what it pays, but on the inside it starts eating away at them because they're having to live contradictory to their values. So occupational well-being is making sure your job and your values are aligned, but also that it's better to develop useful and portable skills through volunteering than being unactive and uninvolved. 
So church is a great place to develop occupational well-being because there's so many opportunities to learn skills. I mean, aren't your worship team incredible? It's no surprise that so often people who win, you know, um, either different singing competitions or whatever have a background in church because where else do you learn how to nurture your creative skills and engage an audience week after week after week? Um, In terms of if you're in a job and even as I started talking about the, the occupational well-being and you're like, oh, I'm actually not quite sure that my occupational well-being is the highest it could be. Someone once gave me some really good advice if you're in a situation that's a bit in conflict with who you are. And they said, stay as long as you can bring life to it. If it starts to bring death to you, that's when it's time to move. So are you, can you be there as an agent of influence or does it start to overcome you and influence you? So that's a really good way to start to measure that occupational well-being. The next one is emotional well-being, which is about being aware of and accepting our feelings and our capacity to manage our emotions. And it's about developing gratefulness and enthusiasm about life. I love talking about this particularly with Christians because it helps people realise that they can be spiritually well but maybe emotionally unwell. And it lets people know that they can go and attend to their emotions without feeling like a spiritual failure. So I'm a big fan. One day someone in advertising will come up with this incredible campaign. I've given them the hashtag already, hashtag my psychologist, which is basically everyone should have a psychologist and just check in every six months because we maintain our cars regularly, we brush our teeth regularly, but sometimes we neglect our souls. Why do we treat our cars better than our souls. We don't have to wait till something's wrong to go and see a counsellor or a psychologist. Maybe, in fact, we could start to grow in our emotional well-being by being intentional in our health. Intellectual well-being is about problem-solving, creativity and learning and stretching and challenging our minds with creative new things rather than being unproductive. In other words, try something new. So my husband, Stephen, um, has his own film production company and for a while he worked for an Indigenous media company and sort of the standing joke at the time was he was the only white guy in the company but he was the one who got sent to all the remote Indigenous communities to film. So he was on lots of planes all the time, lots of small planes. The only problem was um, after a life-threatening illness probably about 17 years ago, he developed a real fear of flying. So he decided, I'm not going to let this rule my life, and he decided to confront his fear of flying by learning to fly a plane. (laughs) You know, that's a fairly extreme way to confront your fear of flying, but he decided to go and do it. He learned how to fly. He's now also a recreational instructor. So if you have a fear of flying and you'd like to overcome it, maybe chat to Steve after the service. So, but that's a great way of improving our intellectual well-being, trying something new. Physical well-being is not just running marathons, but it recognises the need for regular physical activity, 
learning about diet and nutrition and discouraging the use of tobacco, drugs and excessive alcohol consumption, yet it's also about getting medical attention when needed. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but those of you who are turning 50 this year, um, the Australian Federal Government will send you a birthday present, which is a bowel cancer screening test. <laughs> Aren't you lucky? That's going to be your favourite one-to-one wrap. <laughs> Well, I have a friend and her husband turned 50 last year and he got his present and he actually decided to use it rather than put it on the shelf and found out he had early stage bowel cancer. So I was able to get it treated really quickly and is great. But because he got that medical attention, he was proactive in physical well-being, it was a much smaller deal than if he'd ignored it and it got found too late. I'm the same example. So October last year... I felt something a little bit amiss. The very first night, I was like, it'll be fine. I'll ignore it. It'll go away. Uh, the second night, I felt it again. It was still there. And I literally heard this definition of physical well-being play over in my mind, which is get medical attention when you need it. So I booked in. I went to see my doctor the next day. And she checked it out and she's like, I think you need to go and get this checked out at the um, St Vincent's Breast Clinic. So I popped off a few days later and um, they're like, oh, no, we need to do a few more tests. And then the following Monday, um, Stephen and I went in and got the news that I'd been diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, it was early stage um, and fairly small. So they're like, this is the best version of bad news that you can get, Ruth. Um, which is good because, you know, the C word sometimes is very scary. So we then went through a range of more tests and they asked me this question. Um, Who's your preferred breast surgeon? I'm like, I don't know any, let alone 10 that I've ranked from 1 to 10. Um, but thankfully, I work with lots of medical professionals. So I called our chief medical officer. I'm like, so this is the situation. Who should I see? He said, this guy or this guy. Um, I was able to get in the next day. Just the fingerprints of God all over this situation were incredible. Had two surgeries in um, late November, early December. They got it all out. I don't need chemo. Just going through radiation because we got it early enough. And it was three millimetres smaller than what um, would trigger the need for chemo. Just go and get things checked out, guys. It's way easier to treat things when they're caught as early as possible. Social well-being is about other people and nature. So it's about contributing to your community. It's about preserving the beauty of nature. You know, nurturing relationships are incredibly important. There's actual mounting evidence that links loneliness and early death. In fact, as a predictor of early death, loneliness eclipses obesity. So just coming to church each week is good for your health. And just starting to build relationships is good for your well-being, whether it's serving together in some area, whether it's a connect group, whatever it is, taking a moment and connecting with people, that's actually a well-being activity. The other thing is that being in nature is actually really good for your health as well. So um, the Japanese government has spent about $10 million researching what they call forest therapy. In Australia, we probably call it bushwalking. So it's about walking intentionally in nature. And they've found that it 
um, compared to walking in the city, lowers your blood pressure, lowers your cortisol levels, which are the stress hormones, by over 12%, and also alleviates stress and depression. So you can go for a walk in nature and not just increase your physical well-being, but also increase your emotional well-being. So that's a quick overview of this framework that we use at the Banyans. And I'm going to talk you through a couple of quick frameworks that are just examples of something that you might want to do this year. So th this really simple strategy is just about learning to relinquish and replenish. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. Just learning to relinquish something and replenish something. So, for example, if you want to look at spiritual well-being, just learning to relinquish the throne of your life and replenish trust. I don't know about you, but one of the biggest temptations I have is just to nudge God off the throne of my life and take my seat there so that I can be in control and I can live life the way I want it. But a really great way to just improve our spiritual well-being a bit this year is to relinquish the throne and just replenish trust and to learn to say, God, I trust you. To learn to say in the midst of everything, God, I trust you. To learn to take captive all of those thoughts and the things that want to run away with what might happen if, what might happen if, what might happen if, and to instead say, even if that happens, I will worship you, that even if that happens, you are my God and I trust you. And as we do that, and we do that in worship all the time, you know, when we got that diagnosis in October, I built a playlist in iTunes and it was our victory and praise prayer list. And they're the songs that we knew this is what we need to soak in, this is what we need to soak in because the enemy comes to just whisper things but we need to just relinquish that throne and just replenish that trust in God that is good. You know, the word of God helps us do that. You know, words that people give us, just those whispers of God that we hold on to, that we know that God is good and we can trust him. Something really practical in terms of physical well-being is relinquishing sugar and replenishing water. Now, this doesn't mean you can't eat any sugar for the rest of life, and those um, Sundays tonight will be amazing, and you've got a free pass for that. But um, one of the things, so for example, what we drink sometimes has huge amounts of sugar that we don't realise. So wine has huge amounts of sugar. Um, soft drink has huge amounts of sugar. Um, and so one thing you might want to do is just say, you know what, for maybe the next month, I'm just going to drink water. And it's amazing how much less sugar you'll actually be taking in. I'd rather eat my calories than drink them personally, so... Um, but for the last couple of years, Stephen and I, basically, we do carbonated water, soda water and lime. And uh, we were at someone's place for Christmas and they had the sparkling apple juice. And we took a sip and we realised how much sugar was actually in there that we just weren't used to. So sometimes it's just those little things that you can relinquish and replenish with water and it makes a big difference because if you want to be smarter in 2020... Drink more water. Um, your brain is so strongly influenced by how much um, water that you're drinking and how hydrated you are. Even mild dehydration, just 1% to 3% of your body weight, 
can impair your brain function. It can impair your mood and concentration and feelings of anxiety and fatigue. So if you're cranky at work or at home, maybe just drink a little bit more water. If someone in your world is cranky at home maybe or at work, maybe just ask them when they last had some water. It's sometimes really simple, free things that we can do that improve our well-being. The, um, in terms of emotional and physical well-being, we could relinquish sleep hijackers and replenish sleep hygiene. Now, I've learned a lot in the last few years just the importance of sleep to our well-being in all kinds of areas. And if you've got young children, just ignore everything that I'm saying for the next little while. Uh, but when we don't get enough sleep, our metabolism of glucose, which gives us energy, goes down. And our level of cortisol, the stress hormone, goes up. As I said before, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is have a sleep. So what are some things that affect our ability to sleep? Phone use before bed. I think we all know that, don't we? But it's really interesting. Phones are perfectly designed to create this feeling of constant seeking. And it activates the same kind of hormones in our brains that things like cocaine, amphetamines, meth and Ritalin also activate, which increases our feeling of wakefulness. So you might decide this year, I'm going to stop using my phone half an hour before bed, pick up an old-fashioned book and read it. Coffee. Coffee is life, so I'm not saying give it up. It's okay. Um, but I always said that coffee didn't affect me and I could have it before bed and still go to sleep. Unfortunately, um, there's been quite a bit of research and studies that had people who drank coffee within six hours of going to bed, who said, like I did, didn't affect them. But the sleep study, the objective data showed that it disrupted their sleep and stopped them getting into really deep restorative sleep. But when they woke up the next morning, they reported that it didn't affect them at all. So maybe you might decide this year, I'm just not going to drink coffee six hours before I go to sleep. Finally, occupational, intellectual and social well-being. Perhaps relinquish being an observer and replenish being a contributor. You know, volunteering, getting involved, learning new skills, requires us often to step into situations that stretch us, but those situations also grow us. Um, I worked for a while as the Chief of Staff to the Speaker of Queensland Parliament, and that was when the G20 event was on in Brisbane. And I ended up being the Parliament's project coordinator for the G20 Leaders Retreat at Parliament. Do you know how I learned how to do all of that? By volunteering at church by volunteering with different events, by volunteering with people management and flow. And this incredible community is such a gift. But the greatest gift is when we give back. That's when we actually receive the most. You know, in fact, getting involved in volunteering doesn't just help people that we serve, but it helps us. In fact, studies show that 61% of people who volunteered at least five times a year reported that those activities reduced their stress levels. You can be the busiest person in the world, but still, volunteering and serving, even just five times a year, will actually decrease your stress levels, not increase them. So 
what's something you could relinquish this year? And maybe you want to relinquish it for all time. It might be something where you're like, I'm never going to drink alcohol again. Or it might be, you know what, I'm going to do Feb fast, dry July and October. Maybe you relinquish it for all time or for our time. Maybe you're like, I'm not going to eat sort of sugary desserts Monday to Friday, but the weekend, I'm all about it. That's okay. This is not about extreme, unachievable things. This is one positive change for 2020 so that we can honour the way that God has created us, so that we can start to step into that fullness of life that God has for us. And can I encourage you just one thing? Forget all of the six dimensions, just one thing in the first six months of this year. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you'd like me to do? Just that one thing. And the really good news is when you do just one thing, it creates that positive domino effect in so many others because God has created us body, soul and spirit. So can I pray for you this morning, church? Father, I thank you so much that your smile is over us right now. Father, I thank you for the individuals in this church, but also this church as a community of faith, that you've got good works for them to do. Father, I even sense during worship that there's people that you've been bringing here and there's just a synergy that is starting to be created for greater influence in this city. And Father, I pray that as each and every individual just looks to you, just asks for that greater life in all its fullness. Father, that there will be increasing life, increasing abundance in all these areas. Father, we don't have to fear what the future holds because you do hold our lives in your hands. So, Father, I pray that you'd speak clearly and graciously about how we can continue to grow into you and into the life you've called us to. Amen.